it's so closely related to so many things. And, you know, I see a lot of people, myself included, you know, I, I have pre-diabetes, but I also have PCOS and insulin resistance. And it's so common to have all three of those. And then also high cholesterol, right? It's kind of like a hormonal cascade. If you start struggling with one thing, everything else kind of unfortunately falls in line. Welcome to the Daily Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Stacey Mitchell, registered dietitian and personal trainer. I am so happy to have you here. My goal for this podcast is to break down the latest health topics and help clear the clutter in the messy world of nutrition and fitness. We hope to inspire, educate, and entertain all things wellness. We cut the baloney of the food shaming and focus on making healthy habits that work for you. Join us as we talk with experts in their fields on how to feel our best in our own body and mind. Did you know in the United States about one of five adolescents and one of four young adults have pre-diabetes? Those predisposed with pre-diabetes also present unfavorable risks such as type 2 diabetes and other cardiovascular diseases. That's not a statistic I want to hear. So let's talk about what is prediabetes and what you need to know about how to balance your blood sugars with nutrition and other lifestyle habits. We talk with registered dietitian and certified eating counselor, Dion, at Prediabetes Nutrition. She gives us the facts about what foods are needed to balance blood sugars and answers our questions from what causes prediabetes. Will a low carb help lower my blood sugars? And so much more. Join us for this conversation. It's so much fun to have you. Would you go ahead and introduce and tell everyone who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Dion, and I'm a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and I help people with pre and type 2 diabetes lower their blood sugar and A1C without dieting. Awesome. Um, now with that, you have also mentioned in your, on your online space that you are recovered from prediabetes. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I don't know if you noticed, I was actually taking my blood sugar whenever we first popped on here (laughs) just to see, um, I was diagnosed with prediabetes, I guess, seven, eight years ago. Um, and it was before I was a dietitian, so I didn't really understand a lot about it. I didn't have a lot of information. I was literally given a handout and told to eat less, exercise more, um, and that was it. And I've always loved food, so I knew that wasn't going to work for me. (laughs) Um, and so fast forward to now, you know, after becoming a dietitian, I knew it was something, a space that I wanted to work in because all of the other approaches out there really include focusing on weight loss, focusing on low carb. Um, and I knew that I had been managing this myself. Took me about six months after getting diagnosed to get my A1C and my fasting blood sugar under the pre-diabetic range. So I knew I had been doing this for about seven years on my own um, in a very flexible way. And I just, I wanted to teach others how to do that if that was something they're interested in. And it turns out they are. (laughs) I love your niche. I think it's 
uh, very necessary for the general public and a lot, probably a lot more people you find have this. So when did your dietitian career kind of come into play with your current diagnosis? Um, you mean like how long after being diagnosed did I kind of become a dietitian? Yeah. Yeah. And share that path yeah. with that. Yeah. So Whenever I was diagnosed, I went the most backwards way around becoming a dietitian. I, I, I had a biology degree, and I knew I wanted to get into nutrition, so then I got my master's degree in nutrition, um, but I wasn't a dietitian. So that's kind of how I even suspected that I might, I thought maybe I had diabetes because I had learned about it in school. Um, and I thought, do I have diabetes? Like, it don't fit a lot of the symptoms. My BMI was you know, normal. I was very active. I ate healthy. Um, but I didn't have that clinical background. I didn't have that medical nutrition therapy yet. Um, so again, I was in school getting my master's degree. I got diagnosed. I was at the time working in biomedical research. Ironically, I was doing weight loss research, um, in adults and children. And I knew that I wanted to be doing the job that the dietitian was doing, right? I wanted to be in that clinical setting. I wanted to have the ability to write the meal plans and things like that. Um, and so I said, I'm going to go back and get, become a registered dietitian, right? Get my bachelor's in, in nutrition, do the internship. And so I went back, but at this time I was almost 30. So I was older. I had kids. It was quite the struggle, but it's such a passion personally. I mean, I feel like a lot of dietitians feel that way too. We, we, we really love this. So it was kind of easy in that way. It was easy going back to school because I had already developed such a passion for nutrition in my personal life. Um, and after becoming a dietitian, I worked in a couple of different fields. I did long-term care. I did corporate wellness, ended up here in private practice doing blood sugar management. <laughs> well, and thank you for clarifying too that that your symptoms were a little bit different. And you're obviously with your, um, said some other symptoms with your BMI and other types that it didn't quite fit. So you found that you kind of hit that pre-diabetic range. Yeah, yeah. Even, you know, and I wish I could, I went back and tried to remember what, what were my exact levels. I can't remember the but it was just crazy because I had elevated A1C, elevated fasting blood sugar, but I didn't fit any of the boxes besides a little bit of family history. Um, so my healthcare team was like a little puzzled, right? They were like, okay, well, we're not going to recommend a weight loss. You're already pretty active. You already eat healthy. Now, I, I did eat, looking back, a little higher carb. I've never been a super fan of meat. I like carbs and I like plant-based proteins that oftentimes also include carbs, you know, edamame, things like that. Um, so it was kind of like putting the pieces together of where can I improve my diet without going on a diet. And um, I tried a couple of things, right? I tried the low carb. Back then, the diet of the day was paleo, right? So I did paleo. Um and it was hard and it was not sustainable and it just didn't work. It wasn't helping me, you know, with the, with the treatment plan, if you will, for prediabetes, which 
there's really no standard of care for pre-diabetes like there is diabetes. It's kind of a relatively new term. It's a relatively new diagnosis. And so doctors, dietitians, everybody's just kind of doing their best to help people manage it. Um, and, and so in addition to the, the lifestyle changes, a lot of times they will recommend metformin. <clears throat> Definitely for type 2 diabetes, but often for pre-diabetes. And I was recommended that. And I thought, well, I'll try it because I was scared. I, I was like, well, I don't want to get diabetes. I mean, a previous job that I held was in a podiatrist's office. And a lot of foot doctors, you know, their primary patients are people with type 2 diabetes, uncontrolled, who have had to have toes amputated, feet amputated. Foot care is really important because people with type 2 diabetes often lose feeling in their toes and they might step on something and then they get an infection and they don't even know it. So I'm going through my head going, oh, I have pre-diabetes. I'm going to get type 2. Give me the medicine. Give me everything. I want to avoid this. Um, but the side effects were just so, I mean, oh, I think a lot of people who take metformin feel the same way. It really messes up your GI system. Lots of bowel changes, gas, bloating. I mean, it's just not fun. Um, so I said, mm, scratch that. I want to do this without the medicine. <laughs> um, and good, so I started with the diet changes. And good point about the whole you know, kind of the medical process or the treatment journey, because it's not really followed up. You can take a blood test and find, oh, yeah, I'm in the pre-diabetic range, but there's really not much follow up that you get. Yeah. It's when you hit those markers of diabetic, then you get into that process of meeting with dietitian, going in with the program and all the above. And so how do people connect with you or how do you find your audience? Yeah, you're so right. And I think it's a really good point to consider with prediabetes because most people would rather know that they're on track to have a chronic disease and try to turn it around rather than waiting to do something about it until they have the disease, right? Um, but unfortunately, Diabetes is so common. I think a lot of people on our healthcare team, diets, dietitians, doctors and dietitians alike, they don't get alarmed until it is type 2. And so there's not a lot of resources for people with prediabetes. Um, screening is, of course, the most basic one. But after that, they're not given the books, the classes, the connections with the dietitians. Insurance often won't cover a glucometer, right, and that home um, kit that helps you take your blood sugar. And so for me, the primary way that I get connected to people is honestly Instagram. People go on there and they start searching for pre-diabetes or low carb. Um, and they start following me, you know, for my tips and stuff. Um, a lot of times maybe they've tried some stuff beforehand, right? They leave the doctor's office, they Google it, they join Weight Watchers or Noom or they try keto. Not a good fit for whatever reason, but they kind of find me. <laughs> Yes. Um, and your information, your posts, with all that, you give great information on those. Um, what is a message that you kind of have to keep repeating on social media? The biggest one I repeat is you can lower your A1C and fasting blood sugar without going low carb and without focusing on weight loss. Um, I really encourage people to focus on the behaviors and not the outcome, right? So focus on 
how can I fit a 10 minute walk into my day? How can I add more fiber to my lunch versus how do I lose weight? Because typically to, to achieve the weight loss, again, they're going to Google, they're going to a free Facebook group or something, and it's leading to some pretty extreme dietary changes, and they get really caught up in that. Um, and, and really weight loss, that's the traditional approach to prediabetes, right? And so um, it doesn't guarantee that you'll even reduce your numbers. I work with people all the time that lose weight, and their A1C doesn't budge. Um and I keep talking about A1C, so I just want to mention, what is A1C? <laughs> A1C is your average blood sugars from about the past three months. A1C is a nice measure for uh, blood sugar metabolism because it doesn't just tell you what's my blood sugar right here, right now, which is impacted by so many things. Yes, what we ate, but also how well did I sleep last night? Um, how stressed out am I? Things like that. A1C is just your 24-7 average. So it kind of weeds out, you know, the temporary factors and just looks at where you're sitting on a day-to-day basis. So we like A1C whenever it comes to prediabetes. It's nice to have a number to see where people are at. And you have a great post of eating less does not eating better for blood sugars. Um, and also some very helpful tips. I noticed one of your reels, I'm not sure which one, but you talked about kind of maybe some effects with these fad diets that kind of creep up for people. Yeah, like whenever they try keto or intermittent fasting and it doesn't work, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And And it's frustrating because then they lose steam, they feel like a failure, they start to wonder, what's wrong with me? Why does it work for everyone else? Is it just because I don't have enough willpower? Why do I feel addicted to carbs? Um, So I like to talk about that a lot on my page and show them it's not just you. You're not doing anything wrong. These diets are really hard to stick to. Um, It doesn't have anything to do with willpower. It has to do with our, our primary way that our body operates. We like carbs. Our brain likes carbs. The keto diet was developed for people with epilepsy, right? It was never meant to be followed by a person who doesn't have epilepsy for two years to control their blood sugars. You know, it's actually quite dangerous if someone stays in ketosis all the time for for a long period of time. Um, So I try to talk about that a lot and show people that the alternative is a flexible way of eating. It sounds too good to be true, but, and it can be scary because people like rules to follow. Um, But I try to teach them about pairing carbs with protein, fiber, and fat to balance blood sugar versus just cutting out carbs. (laughs) With your clients that you work with, are they a little bit hesitant to follow these guidelines or what these recommendations that you're giving them? Some are, some aren't. I would say, you know, intuitive eating has really increased over the past few years. And and a lot of people are, are really in tune with that and they're interested in it. And so they come to me and they're ready and they're going, how do I combine this intuitive eating way of eating with your way of eating. They're very excited. But then I also get other, other clients who are like, okay, I've tried everything under the sun. Why are you different? You know, they just kind of feel like, well, I have nothing else to lose. You know, they don't really have a lot of faith. Um, and, and those are the clients I really love to say, just, just give it a month. You know, let's just see how it goes. How does it feel whenever you don't have to constantly restrict and count and track and log? Um, 
and they start to see their numbers go down and they feel better. And then it's like, oh, okay. But then they're still like, but how will I feel three months from now, you know, or four months? And it's, it's nice to see them kind of build that trust over time. You have a great client win here and it says, great news. I'm out of the pre-diabetic range. The doctor called me to congratulate my A1C went from 5.7 to 5.5. So those gradual little increments from the A1C, those wins that they, they feel better, they're eating better within your program and how you coach them. Uh, you do have a... Uh, program, a coaching program. Tell us more about that. So yeah, in my coaching program, I essentially, it's a three month program. And that's just because like we talked about earlier, that's about how long it takes for A1C to go down significantly. Um, And in my program, I think the concepts that I talk about on my Instagram page, that pairing of the carbs with protein, fat and fiber, prioritizing self-care, sleep, body movement, I take it a thousand levels deeper and show people how to actually apply this to their unique lifestyle. Um, I give them a lot of tools because it's not just, I think we get really focused on what we're eating, but I also really teach them about portion sizes, you know, how much to eat, um, meal timing, because in the day of intermittent fasting, people get really confused on what's the ideal time to eat, you know, and it's different for everybody. You know, I have one client who, who has, who goes long periods of time in surgery, right? I have other clients who are teachers who can't just whip out a snack in front of the kiddos. Um, it looks a lot different for my clients who are still working from home in the pandemic. Right. So in my program, I just, I teach them how to make it fit for their lifestyle so that it's sustainable a year from now, essentially. Right. Um, Within the blood sugar tracking, uh, you talked about some other factors that blood sugar affects, um, hunger levels and things like that. How do, how does that play in with the blood sugar ranges and hormone levels Uh, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I like to talk about a lot with my clients is the importance of if they, before they worked with me, if they've been dieting or intermittent fasting, for example, and let's just say they're used to waking up at 6 a.m. and they don't eat until 2 p.m. or something like that. They're used to, whenever they feel hungry, trying to ignore that and push past that. And then maybe whenever it is time to eat, they feel really ravenous and they find themselves eating more than what they feel comfortable with. And they, they might find themselves craving a little bit more carbs than usual. So we talk about the importance of, you know, eating every few hours to, yes, stabilize your blood sugars, but to also start learning to tune in with those feelings of hunger and and not getting used to pushing past them because that can help to prevent overeating later on in the day. Um, We also talk about, you know, as dietitians, we learn about um, hunger and fullness hormones like leptin and ghrelin that help us feel full or hungry. Both are very important for our blood sugars. We don't want to go too long without eating, but we also don't want to be literally grazing all day long and eating every 45 minutes, right? And and there's things we can do to support our hormones um, to be balanced in a healthy way, like getting eight hours of sleep each night, moving your body 30 minutes a day, um, 
winding down, turning off those cell phones, you know, letting go of that blue light before bed. These are things that help regulate our hormones that indirectly lead to better blood sugars. I think blood sugars are one of the missing tools, I should say, or measurements that really just kind of open up a lot of doors for preventative measures. Don't you agree? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's so closely related to so many things. And, you know, I see a lot of people, myself included, you know, I, I have prediabetes, but I also have PCOS and insulin resistance. And it's so common to have all three of those. And then also high cholesterol, right? It's kind of like a hormonal cascade. If you start struggling with one thing, everything else kind of unfortunately falls in line. So it's important to manage your blood sugars. So that way, again, everything else falls in line and it typically improves insulin resistance, PCOS, cholesterol, you know, um, it's very interesting how they're all related. Yes. And I'm going to add in there like menopause and aging for, for females too. It has so much to play just aging as, um, in general, probably. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of clients who are like experiencing menopause or they're postmenopausal and they never had issues with their blood sugars before that. And now they do. And yes, 2020 was a hard year and stressful, but also it is aging and it is a hormonal fluctuation like that, that impacts our blood sugars. It's kind of fascinating. Um, I love this post so much. I don't know who needs to hear this, but having a sweet tooth isn't what caused your prediabetes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that post hits on a couple of things. One, the misinformation that sugar is directly what leads to diabetes. I say this all the time. Your genetics play the biggest role. I can eat the same thing as my husband and my blood sugar goes through the roof. And he eats it and he's fine. Well, if sugar causes diabetes, why doesn't he have diabetes, right? It's, his genetics are different than mine. Um, but two, it also hits on the shame and the stigma attached with diabetes. It's, it's probably one of the, the most shocking things. I knew it existed, but once I started doing this in private practice, every person that comes to me, I would say 99% of people have stories about how they've been shamed in some way by their healthcare team by their family, friends, you name it, you know, and it's like, okay, just because I have prediabetes or diabetes, it doesn't mean that you have the right to look at my piece of cake at my niece's birthday party and ask me whether I should be eating that or not. You know, um, it's so important to destigmatize this condition and, and even, you know, disease with diabetes and, and point out that it's, you know, it's not like they're over there eating Twinkies and bonbons all day. There's so many things that play into being diagnosed with prediabetes. That's such a good point. And another post on there, like showing you have coconut sugar, like myth versus fact, kind of building that health halo around certain foods that are, the myth is that it won't really affect your blood sugar and it's healthier. But in fact, uh, coconut sugar versus white sugar uh, how does the blood sugar affect after we eat that? Yeah, I think the problem with that is predominantly in the, in the so many things. No, in in the online age, you know, yes, there's people like us, dietitians, healthcare providers on Instagram and on social, but a lot of of the people out there giving nutrition advice are not dietitians. 
um, they're just people sharing their personal opinions. And that's whenever we start to see, like you mentioned, health halos develop around certain foods. That's whenever we start to see people saying coconut sugar is better for you than regular sugar. And I think it's so important to fight that misinformation because every food that we demonize, every food that we add to the bad foods list is just one more struggle that somebody faces whenever they're at the grocery store or at a restaurant and they're going, okay, here's all the things I can't eat. You know, here's all the things I feel guilty for eating. What can I eat? You know? And so it's just so much easier to focus on what can I eat? I can eat coconut sugar. I can eat regular sugar. It's just balancing that with protein, fat, and fiber and understanding that coconut sugar isn't magical. (laughs) Your body responds the same. I wish there was a magical food that we could just prescribe, right? (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Where can people connect with you? So my Instagram is prediabetes.nutrition. That's a great place to connect with me. Um, I'm in the process of revamping my website. So soon you'll be able to find me at prediabetesnutrition.com. But that'll be about another month. Such great information on here from little uh, tidbits for for nightly snacks, um, myths, and what else do we have? Uh, Client wins and some great little reels too in there. And congratulations, you just hit the big 10K. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah. It was like, I was like, this is silly to be excited about, but I am excited because whenever I started this, I just never thought that people would be interested in learning about blood sugars in a non-diet way. I feel like since becoming a dietitian, I've only been asked for diet plans, weight loss plans. And so to see a community of over 10,000 people Um, spreading the message and believing in the power of lowering blood sugars without dieting. It's pretty cool. Tian, what do you love about being a dietitian? So many things. (laughs) I, I feel really lucky because I really do get to do what I love every day. I love food so much, not just the health foods, but I love all food. And, and to be able to tell people that they, I'm not a food Nazi. I can tell them all the foods that they can eat. Um, it's, it's beautiful because I mean, I've had people cry and be like, Oh, I can actually keep, you know, my tortillas. I can keep, you know, my favorite chocolate. I'm like, yes, it's just, it's my favorite thing to teach them how to enjoy their, their nostalgic foods that are so important to them, their cultural foods and reach their blood sugar goals and feel better. It feels so rewarding. I love with your post with that, as you kind of point out there, you, it seems like you had a client saying that she couldn't go to Starbucks. And so you show a blood sugar friendly Starbucks order, which I mean, come on, you can't swipe that out of your diet for sure. Totally. I mean, Starbucks is a form of self-care for me personally. (laughs) So again, I just, I love showing realistic things like that because most people, whenever they come to me, they've only worked with dietitians who tell them all the things they can eat or they follow Instagram accounts that say, cut out white foods, cut out the fast food. We can't have Starbucks, you know, and they're just like feeling frustrated. So it's really fun to, to share with them the things they can eat. By the way, I clicked on your profile and watched your little video and 
you nailed it. Like you were like, yes, I like my wine. I like my sweets and telling your story and how you can help them. Um, you really provide great information and in helping people along this process. I love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I share with my followers all the time. I'm pretty introverted. So it, it feels very rewarding to be able to open up and share my personal story and have it resonate with people. It makes it all worth it to, to push myself, you know, outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> I get you on that part. It's just a whole new thing to tackle kind of too. So yes, great messaging. Um, anything else that we missed? I think that kind of wraps everything up before we go into our closing questions. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, great. We'll start with our first one. If you were in a TV show, which one would you be in? Oh, man. <laughs> well, all of my favorite TV shows are either like American Horror Story. I don't want to be in that <laughs> or something on Bravo. So maybe the Real Housewives, but I don't know if I could open up my life like that. Uh it, it would be fun to to be a voice of you know anti diet culture and just show, hey, not all dietitians are over here eating kale every day. <laughs> that leads us into the next question. What is one food someone has said a dietitian eats that? Oh man, I feel like people say that to me all the time. <laughs> ice cream, ice cream is probably a really big one because I post about how I eat it a lot, and people will say, "You eat that? You can't eat that. You have prediabetes." Um, and with that what is your favorite feel-good food Mm, probably a tie between chicken and waffles and and lobster macaroni and cheese best or latest book you have read Ooh. okay so i listen to a lot of books um and i recently listened to this is like a total like just I do like professional books and I do like, um, you know, anti-diet, effort diet, things like that too. But I read um, Jessica Simpson's like autobiography open book and I really binged it. Did you read it too? Yeah. I listened to that one too. Yes. I loved it. I was, I was on the edge of my seat because I grew up with her doing that show with Nick and everything. And so really loved it. And it's fun to hear her journey and path on what they, the whole body image and how they were saying, no, you need to lose this much weight or be this size or look this way. And she really opened up about that process. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed hearing her point of view and was always curious because I knew she was someone who had faced a lot of scrutiny in the media. She, she may, you know, take a photo that is, a, you know, not the best angle. And then she's all over the tabloids for gaining five pounds, you know, and it's like her career has been built off of having the Dukes of Hazard, Daisy Duke, you know, perfect air quotes body. And so it was interesting to hear her take on it, especially as a mom now and understanding what kind of environment this is setting for our children. <clears throat> I think I listened to the chapters on mom jeans twice and that like someone made a comment of how she looked fat in the jeans and she thought she looked really good in it. And the whole mental aspect of that, I was like, wow, 
she has some in very intelligent po- points on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she did. And it's like, you're saying that and I'm envisioning the pictures. I can remember even though it was however many years ago. And yeah, I just, I really enjoyed how open and honest she was. And it was, it was just an escape from, you know, the everyday life a little bit to, to, get, to read that book. <laughs> yes. Oh, good, good book. Um, yeah. Love it. Yeah. And so fitting for our conversation, too. <laughs> it really is. I didn't even mean for that to happen, but. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I am so happy to connect with you and realize that before we started recording, um, you did your internship at my alma mater. You're the second uh, guest on this podcast that has done the Iowa State Dietetic Internship. So that is so much fun to hear. Yeah, small world. Small world. And um, thank you for sharing your story um, on becoming a dietitian with your pre-diabetes journey and helping everyone included. Thanks for having me on, Stacey. It was fun. Thank you. Bye-bye. So tell me, what did you learn? I am so happy to get to know Dion through our conversation. Take a peek at her Instagram because she provides not only helpful nutrition advice, but also great points regarding those mindful eating practices, ditching the fad diets and focusing on real foods to solve the problem. Or should I say, solve the imbalances of the blood sugars. I am proud to put out this episode because... I believe there is not enough preventative measures done if you are on the track to diabetes. So be in the know of your blood levels. And hopefully this episode has provided you with the information, inspiration, and had some fun along the way. Thank you so much for joining me on the Daily Dietitian Podcast.